Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Today we're talking to Matt Baum. How's it going, Matt? It's going great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Um, so, Matt, where might people know you from? I do a bunch of things for the internet. Uh, so, most prominently, I think, right now I'm doing a show called Queens of Adventure, where we have drag queens coming together to play a Dungeons & Dragons quest. Uh, we've been doing that as a live show and as a podcast for, gosh, since 2017, um, so that's been, you know, bouncing along and, uh, we're in the middle of, uh, our first like full season of podcast episodes right now. Uh, so that's queensofadventure.com is that show. Nice. Um, and how did you get started with D and D and tabletop games? Fairly recently. It was actually 2017. Um, for a long time, uh, my partner and I had been talking about doing a show called Dungeons and Drag Queens because we thought it was a funny name. And so we're like, yeah, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be funny? And we, literally for years, we were talking about it. Uh, and then finally, uh, I was at DragCon in, I guess, yeah, I guess that would have been 2017 and um, talked to a few people about like, oh, it's just this like little thing that we thought would be cute. And finally, and everybody was like, oh, you should do it. You should do it. And finally, we're like, all right, let's just do it. Uh, so locally here in Seattle, where we're based, we got together with some drag queen friends and uh, put on a live show at uh, the Timber Room, which is a smallish bar here. Went really well. We did a few more live shows around uh, ECCC and PAX. And uh, eventually we're like, okay, people seem to be coming to these live shows. Uh, let's see if we can make it a podcast so the internet can have it. Uh, and so we were crowdfunded. We put it on Kickstarter and raised some money so we can pay our performers. And uh, yeah, we've been going for, let's see, I think in May. I think we started end of last May. So uh, we're coming up on our first year. That's really cool. Yeah. So I, I guess I'm just, I'm, curious like why why a bunch of drag queens like what's the reasoning behind that honestly like at first in our very first conversation it was just kind of the joke of like how dungeons and drag queens sounded funny but the more we talked about it uh the more we were like oh there are actually some parallels here it, it, it these worlds overlap in a way that's kind of works uh so you know in in both um RPGs and in the world of drag uh, are very much about coming up with a persona and living out your fantasies and uh, working with a team to be greater than the sum of your parts. Um, previous to this, uh, my partner James and I had worked on uh, a project called Playing with Pride, where we interviewed LGBT gamers and allies about uh, the intersection of queer culture and nerd culture. And we heard from a lot of people that it felt like those two worlds were very siloed and you had to pick one or the other. And, you know, if you, you can't talk about your nerd interests with your gay friends, and you can't talk about your gay interests with your nerd friends. And what we were seeing is that increasingly, especially over the last few years, game companies and just game culture, like gamer, you know, communities have been getting a lot better about integrating those things uh, because they're two groups that have been a little marginalized and not entirely mainstream. So they have actually a lot of agreement, a lot to say to each other. Uh, so from that project, from playing with pride, uh, we were like, well, we want to do something that brings together 
basically gay and geek uh, and, and be inclusive about it. So that's not just gay and not just geek, uh, but it's open to the whole LGBTQ world and uh, that it's something where, uh, you know, nerdy folks and gamers feel comfortable as well. Um, and so that's how we developed Queens of Adventure, the show. Okay, that's really awesome. So tell us, uh, tell us a little bit more about the the live stream because that's something that I'm I'm pretty curious about. Partially in terms of just like what's the the reaction been? What's what kind of feedback have you gotten? And also, I think a little bit after that, we can talk a little bit about the the nitty gritty of actually running a, a live stream. Yeah. So usually when we record the podcast, it's usually not live stream. So we'll get everybody together and gather around the table and record, and then we do. A pretty extensive edit uh, on what we record, but we also do occasional live streams uh, with the with the queens. So they're in full drag and they're streaming for a live audience, uh, and so the games are like two to three hours or so. Uh, we've also done uh, a few uh, charity streams for Extra Life, uh, where we had the queens come over and raise some money for Seattle Children's Hospital, uh, and just recently, um, James and I have started doing. Uh, live streams every Saturday, not with the Queens, but it's just a queer friendly D and D stream. We're playing uh water deep. Uh, and so every Saturday from 11 to two ish, uh, Pacific, uh, it's me and some friends just playing through water deep. And that one's a little less draggy, uh, but still pretty queer. Okay. So what kind of, uh, what's the response been to both the, I guess the podcast and the, the live stream? Really nice. Um, it's great to be crowdfunded because we know that there are people out there who not only are, you know, want to see this, but want to see it enough that they are supporting it financially, which makes it possible for us to, with the drag queens, pay them for their performances to get audio equipment that actually works, uh, you know, to, to make sure that everyone is, you know, compensated for their time because the queens that we're playing with, you know, they're professional performers. Uh, you know, it's fun to play with friends and I love just getting around the table and being informal and having a drink and, you know, goofing around. Um, but you know, it was important for us to, uh, make sure that the show was, you know, connected to the community and accountable to the community that's supporting it. So, uh, it's wonderful to see the Kickstarter backers who've made it, made it possible for us to get off the ground. And now we're Patreon supported and it's really rewarding to see folks coming in and, uh, say, we want this to be an ongoing thing. We want to make sure that you can continue to record, uh, because the initial Kickstarter was just for, I think, uh, 10 sessions and we're getting close to 20 sessions now. So to continue paying the Queens, uh, we've been, you know, relying on supportive listeners, uh, which is, it's been extremely meaningful. That's really cool. And, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that the, the community has come together behind you guys to you folks to support this because one of the things that I've talked about on previous episodes and I love seeing it is seeing, um, how the D&D community has become so inclusive uh, mm. over the past couple of years, seeing like the wide variety of folks who support stuff like Critical Role, support stuff like what you're doing. Um, because, I mean, I'm fully behind D&D being something fun and awesome. And I just, I want as many people as, as possible to enjoy this, frankly, just really fun hobby. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's something that... Um... I always felt was a little uh, un, not, not unattainable, but um, it just didn't feel like it was a place where I belonged. Um, you know, looking at D&D for a long time, for most of my life, I was like, oh, it's very complicated. I'd had a bad experience when I was a teenager and like some friends tried to play it. And um, it wasn't like a, a terrible experience. It just that, you know, it was a lot of just like staring at manuals um, and it wasn't fun at all. And so uh, I stayed away for a long time. 
Uh, and then when fifth edition came out, uh, James, uh, my partner, who's also, you know, game designer, he's worked professionally for a lot of game companies. Uh, he really eased me into it and was like, I thought like, I'm never going to be able to learn this. Um, but he put me in front of, uh, I think it was Fandolin. Yeah. Lost Minds of Vandelver. Uh, he put that in front of me and was like, okay, we're going to start small. We're going to start easy. Just look through this. You'll get the hang of it. And I was like, oh, Okay. I actually think I get it. And like you said, um, Critical Role and, you know, shows like Adventure Zone uh, really helped make it feel like you can, you know, this is this is a game for anybody. And it's amazing to hear our drag queens who had never played D&D before we got this show together. Uh, one of them had actually played, I think, 3.5 or 4th edition, but the others had no idea what it was. And in fact, one of them didn't even realize we were going to expect them to play D&D. She just thought it was a drag show uh, that was D&D themed. Um, so they came in knowing nothing. And now to hear them talk about like, you know, cantrips and talk about you know, Pact of the Blade and, you know, they're so fluent in it. Uh, it's really lovely and rewarding. So, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. I've I've listened to a couple episodes of Queens of Adventure and I'm, I'm really loving it. And uh, I know you were talking about you did uh, live shows first. So that's probably part of it. But I, I really admire how much the performers have like, they have their characters down from the get-go. Yeah, well, I think part of that is they're largely playing themselves. So, you know, uh, Freya Love, who's one of our drag queens, Freya Love, the drag queen, is not that far off from Freya Love, the character in the game. You know, she likes the glamour of it all, and she likes to be super-powered. And, you know, if she wasn't playing D&D, she'd be flaunting and and doing Xena Warrior Princess-style moves on stage. So... Uh, it's been easy for them to access that uh, aspect of themselves. Cool. Was it your first time DMing when you started doing the live shows? It sure was. Yeah, my first time really DMing for real was on stage for a hundred people. Oh wow! So yeah. how did how did that go? No pressure or anything. You know, just totally easy. Uh, it was terrifying. Uh, we'd done a few practice sessions with the queens, and we'd done some practice sessions with some volunteers who, you know, I just reached out to friends and was like, could you help me make sure I actually know how to do this? And, you know, made a lot of mistakes in those practice sessions. But also, you know, a big uh, part of the show is just having a good time. So we're not um, super intense about, you know, stopping everything so we can look up the rules. Um, it's really D and D as a reason to have some community and have some fun and joke around, uh, cause the shows are not just, you know, it's not just the math of D and D that for sure that is there. And we do, you know, we're, we're really rolling dice and we're really using character sheets and we're really playing D and D. Uh, but we're also making sure that there's a lot of heart in there and a lot of just like jokes and, you know, nerd references and, uh, that we're there to entertain. Like that's. First and foremost, the, the show is about the, the, the comedy of it and the, the character of the drag queens. That sounds really awesome. I think one of the things that I really like about this idea is just how different it is from... Because I don't listen to many actual plays or watch many live streams, partially because like I can't watch Critical Role because four hours of content when I've got a job and a bunch of other stuff to get done is just too much. But It's a lot. <laughs> but uh, when it comes to other other actual plays like people playing D and D on a podcast. Like I listen to adventure zone and that kind of does it for me because it like all the other actual plays that I found have been very samey. Like they might have something a little bit different. Like there was uh, I found one called drunks and dragons where it's a bunch of friends get together and drink and play D and D. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it just felt like all of them were, you know, the main difference was 
is this something that's been produced? Like they've gone and edited and added some music or is it just, we recorded us playing D and D. So you hear all of the dice rolling and maybe I just didn't spend enough time to get into any one actual play very much, but they all felt pretty samey. And I feel like this is something that I would really enjoy because it's, it's not just a bunch of friends playing D and D it's a bunch of drag Queens playing D and D and having a lot of fun. Yeah. We try to, you know, the, I think the the fact that they're drag queens kind of gets you over the hump of like, yeah, gosh, another one. Why do I need another D&D podcast in my life? Because, you know, I, I feel the same way. I'm like just overwhelmed by how much good stuff there is out there. Um, so we definitely have like that aspect as a way to set it apart. Um, particularly because, you know, we want to make it really clear. This is, you know, I, I love the, the family friendly shows out there. And I love like the, you know, shows like D20 Dames. That's all women. Um and so, you know, I, I think when you're speaking to a particular audience or at least in a particular community, that's, you know, we, we want to be filling a niche that's maybe not being spoken to uh, or an audience that's not being spoken to uh, as much as it would like to be. Uh, so, yeah, we, we definitely see that as a way to set it apart. And then, you know, once people are, are over that uh you know, that initial joke of like, it's drag queens playing Dungeons and Dragons, which is like a fun gimmick. But then like, once you're past the gimmick, like, then what? And that's when we get down to the actual work of like, oh yeah, we actually have to make it a good show. And so we're, we're doing like a, um, basically a little homebrew campaign that we put together. Um, and, you know, actually make it exciting and entertaining and like good D and D, uh, you know, we work really hard to put sound effects in and, uh, to, you know, not do a ton of like, you know, the the editing is to take out pauses where you know you roll the dice and falls off the table and you have to go hunting under the table for the dice right. you know yeah. we'll, t- we'll take that stuff out uh so you know we actually wanted to make a exciting experience so like once you're past the the drag queen thing it's also just a good hopefully it's just a good show is our goal uh you know it's it's talking to it's not not that it's talking exclusively to queer people, but uh, it's tapping into some queer energy to make a show that is for everyone. Right. So I guess something I'm curious about is how different is it playing and just recording for a podcast, something that you know that, oh, if you take 10 minutes to figure something out, you can easily edit that out later versus playing on a stage or playing on a live stream. It's super different. Uh, when we're at the table, um, you know, for example, there's the episode that we're working on right now. Uh, the players are about to level up and uh, we recorded a, a, you know, maybe like a half hour or so session of them in world going to different places to level up. One of them goes to a spa whenever she levels up. Uh, another one talks to an advisor. Uh, somebody else uh, does some research in a library. And so we have a whole scene where they're, you know, we're diegetically leveling them up. Um, and as part of that, uh, we actually, at the next session, like a week later, um, in between, we we're like, oh, you know what? There should have been this other character in the room. So we just recorded like, I don't know, like a 20 second little pickup um, to kind of retcon oh there's this other person in the room this whole time and so we recorded that with the queens and so we could tweak it a little bit after the fact and make it a little bit better Uh, obviously there's no doing that at the shows so you know there's a a, a, one of our live shows uh for example uh i i can't remember which player this was was over a year ago but you know they're trying to figure out some puzzle and one of them actually asked like 
oh, could I actually like that thing that I just did? Could I take that back so I could try to like figure out a better way to do this? And the answer was no. I like as DM, I was like, no, no, you cannot take it back. <laughs> We're moving forward. Uh, <laughs> you know, I know you just jumped in a pit and it looks like you might be about to fall to your death, but we're going to see what happens because there's no, there's no undoing. We, we have to be out of this bar <laughs> by like 11 PM. So uh, whatever happens, happens. Uh, and that also means that like, you know, we might uh, bend some rules or we might, you know, have to think a little bit more about our prep for the session to be like, well, there's the chance that one of them might encounter this kind of a monster or that kind of a monster. So let's have like six different kinds of monsters prepped just in case we want one of them to come up. Um, so there's a lot more, you know, planning for different contingencies because uh, in the moment, you know, there's no time to pull out a DM guide. But I will also say, like, our audiences have been great, and usually it's a mix of people who have played and a mix of people who have no idea what D&D is, and usually what we do is we find somebody, um, just to be, like, off stage. it might just be an audience member in the, fir- in the front row. This is something that we did both at PAX when we did a, a show there, and also at DragCon when we did a show there. Just found somebody in the front row, handed them a character sheet, and said... I'm going to point it to you at a couple of times so that you can tell me what their initiative or what their strength modifier is so that the Queens don't have to be like flipping around on their papers to look for it. So in that respect, the audience has actually been really helpful in keeping the show moving along. Have you ever gotten a, an audience member to participate in, in one of those things? Like more than just saying like, Oh, this is their initiative or this is their a bonus for something like have, has the audience ever participated um, in a more meaningful way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the audience participation is a big deal for us, both on the podcast and in the live shows, because we really want to involve listeners and viewers. So at the live shows, um, one of the things that we do is we pass out uh, pass out initiative paddles. So if people come either in cosplay or they're like first in line, they get a little paddle, like an auction paddle with a plus one or a minus one on either side. And uh, they can use that once per show to add one or subtract one from a dice roll. So if someone like you know, rolls an 11 and the DC is 12, uh, they can either say like, I'm going to help. Or what happens actually more frequently is uh, audience members might gang up on a particular queen and they might be like, really try to give her trouble. So the like seven people will raise their paddles to like break a successful role and turn it into a failure <laughs> uh, just to make things more difficult. Uh, so we've done that a couple times. times. Uh, actually, we've done that every time at the live shows with the paddles. Uh, we've done uh, some things where we have people come up on stage for like, they're like little physical challenges, like kind of like double dare during the live shows. So we have people from the audience come up and, um, you know, participate. There's a there's a, a puppetry challenge where the queens had to. I can't remember exactly what the context was, but we gave we handed out some like objects and the queens had to like incorporate a member of the audience in a puppetry scene. Uh, there was another <laughs> challenge where one of the queens had to speed draw someone in the audience using her lipstick. Uh, so she had to pick someone in the audience. Uh, for that. Uh, and then uh, with the podcast, uh, some of the backers, uh, depending on what level they backed us at, uh, are able to name characters in the show. So a lot of our NPCs are named after either backers or people that the backers, you know, are, are, are you know, named. They want us to name someone after their partner, for example, or, or something like that. Um, and they can also vote uh, for uh, um, uh, Patreon backers. Uh, get access to a discord channel where we'll put ch- uh, questions up every now and then. Like um, the, there was one where the Queens are going to a town on the far side of the Island. And should it be themed like uh, a creepy eldritch um, HP Lovecraft fishing village? Should it be themed like the canals of Venice or should it be themed like the Jersey shore? Uh, 
Uh, and so people were able to vote on that. Um, so we, we try to involve people as much as we can. What was the outcome of that vote? <laughs> uh, they wanted the HP Lovecraft town. And so and so that's what it was. And I was kind of relieved because it was like, I don't know how we do this around the Jersey Shore. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, yeah, so we had like a real creepy town with like weird barnacles growing on stuff and giant seaweed and like creepy music and, and moans coming from nowhere. Uh, it's always rainy and drizzly and kind of always nighttime. Uh, and that's because of the, that's because that's what the listeners wanted. Um, same thing with like one of them uh, had to choose a deity and we were, we, we gave them some choices and I can't remember what they all were, but um, David Bowie won out as the choice for that one. Uh, so listeners got to choose David Bowie as the patron of choice or the deity of choice for one of our clerics. Uh, so yeah, we, we love turning it over to the, to the listeners. I think one of my favorites is that, uh, one of our listeners or one of our, our Kickstarter backers, um, uh, he's named uh, Lamont and he wanted us to name a character Ellen. Turns out Ellen is his partner. And um, after he had done that, Ellen got in touch with us and wanted us to name a character after him. And so it's Monty. <laughs> we were able to like name characters after each other, after these partners. And we haven't had them meet in game yet, but there's no reason that they couldn't. <laughs> It's like I'm I'm four episodes into Queens of Adventure and Monty's is one of my favorite Monty is one of my favorite NPCs so that's <laughs> that's good. A, that's good, good to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's he's based on a he's based on a person at least on their name. <laughs> so you're saying earlier that initially the show was supposed to be ten episodes and you're now you're now going longer. So did you have was that kind of just a natural growth? Did you have an arc planned for ten episodes that kind of just wound up taking longer or it was a just like primarily you were enjoying doing the show and the response was so good that you just kept on going. It's a little of each actually. So what we, our initial plan was uh, 10 sessions, 10 recording sessions that we would break out into 20 or so episodes. Um, And one of our um, learning curves in making the show is just keeping scenes moving along and uh, keeping things focused. Because when we put things in front of the Queens, um, I think this is an experience a lot of DMs have had is uh, they want to explore everything and talk to everyone, and they come up with schemes that are so much more complicated than they need to be. <laughs> I think that's all players. <laughs> yeah, really, like, you know, I had this feeling of like, oh my God, why are you making this so complicated? Um, and so I think, you know, over time, uh, over the first 10 sessions or so, we got a little bit better at um, keeping things moving, keeping them on task. We do have like a general arc it's not i wouldn't really call it an arc exactly but um a sense of what's going on in the world and the situation that needs to be resolved and we have ideas about what the problem is and possible solutions that the players could find um but of course they've introduced all kinds of things that we didn't anticipate so part of it is um just learning to move things along faster part of it is giving everyone time to explore the stuff that we didn't think they would be interested in but they are and okay let's see where this goes um, and then, you know, also there's a lot of, you know, discoveries of, oh, wow, it turns out the queens are really good at this stuff. So let's give them time to really, you know, for example, we um, early in the adventure, one of their challenges was that they had to put on a show and it was super fun and we wanted to do that again. So we put it back in the episode that I'm editing right now uh, has them putting on a show. Um, and then we did it a third time for an episode that's going to be coming out uh, in a couple of weeks. So, um, you know, we, in, in doing the show, we discovered like, oh, they're really great at certain things. Uh, let's have a lot of that. So, you know, that's been, that's, that's, that's sort of how the show has, has grown beyond the, the confines that we initially expected for it. I think that really does touch on like a really common problem. A lot of DMs have just like 
trying to plan an adventure and uh, figure out how long it'll take. And then, you know, the player's completely throwing you a curveball by exploring mm. something entirely different or trying yeah. to find a cabana boy for half an episode. Oh my goodness. That, that got, yes, <laughs> that got much more uh, extensive. And, you know, there's, there's a bit of that encounter that, you know, we just uh, edited out. Like there's, there's a part where they're just like defending a beach and one of them has the idea to look for a cabana boy to help them. And we're like, okay, let's see where that goes. Uh, so we have them look for the cabana boy and um, there are uh, long range consequences to that search that they are not even aware of for months uh, you know between when they found him and when the the consequences became apparent um but I, you know i'm glad that they did because it allowed us to introduce some complications later on uh, i would say that like one of our big lessons and this is so simple uh was just to like be diligent about watching the clock so on many of the encounters that we prep not all but many um i have like a little suggested time for it so if it's something like real quick and there's no conflict, it's just we got to, you know, have it there as a plot point, you know, I'll have like 10 to 15 minutes. And if something is more complicated encounter, an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. Um, and then I'm just watching the clock. And if it seems like, OK, we've done everything we need to do and we're halfway through and it's time to move things along, um, that'll just keep it from, you know, sort of ballooning up and, and taking more time than it really needs to. So we can get to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So what kind of. I guess the best way to put it is what kind of DM cheats do you use to, because I know that when I've run games, sometimes like I plan an encounter and I'll be like, oh, this will just be a quick fight. And then an hour later, I'm like, why is this not done yet? So do you have anything that you do to like speed up a combat to get them through any, any of these scenarios quicker so that you guys can, you know, move on and not end up with a three hour episode? Yeah, so uh, there's a couple things. Uh, one is having an NPC present who can move things along and basically model good behavior. That's not really good behavior, but, you know, an NPC who can suggest if things are stagnating, for example, uh, some character who I as DM can just be like, um, oh, this person speaks up and is like, oh, we really got to get going. Or someone speaks up and is like, you know, nobody's asked this question yet. And I'm curious uh, so that they can get information out there. Um there's also, you know, the occasional fudging of roles, but honestly, we don't really do that much of that uh, or, or of like hit points. Uh, we just had a combat that went faster than any combat has gone before. Um, I think we did three rounds, like really fast, three or four rounds. Um, and, you know, that that can take that can take a long time. Um, but we were able to make it like zip right along Um in part, I, I think there's a couple things. One was I knew how long I wanted it to take. Uh, so if something was starting to drag, uh, I could hasten things. Uh, another is I had all the um, enemy stat blocks in front of me uh, with a picture of the enemy. So it made it much easier for me to find particular enemy. You know, I'm not like flipping through and being like, oh, which one is this? Uh, I'm not confusing enemies with each other. So I had things printed out and I had them look very distinct and color coded. Uh, so that really helped. Um, it's not really a cheat. It's just, you know, that, that was helpful. Um, gosh, what else do we do in that one? Oh, you know, um, I, doing a little bit of thought before the combat. I, I think this is probably the most helpful thing that I've done is, you know, we had some archers. We had some uh, tanks. Uh, we had a glass cannon that was kind of had the ability to teleport around the room. Uh, and we had a boss and just thinking ahead of time, like, okay, what is everybody's mission, everybody's 
tactics in this fight. Well, okay, the archers are definitely going to want to hang back, and we're going to have the tanks form a perimeter, form a shield, so no one can get to the archers. We're going to have that glass cannon teleporting through. They have shadow steps, so they're going to be teleporting through shadows. Um, and we wanted to give players an opportunity to use reactions, so I was very diligent about like making sure when the teleport happened that a player got an opportunity attack on them. So just you know, thinking ahead of time, this is how this character behaves. Because uh, otherwise, what I found in the past is I have a tendency to just like have everyone like charge into the room all at once, which turns messy and it's really unclear what the strategy even should be. Um, so that was helpful. Um, also, uh, as DM, uh, escalating the danger if things are taking a long time and if so, if a character is like, or if, if a player is saying like, um, and like reading their character sheet for, in silence for a long time and like taking a long time. Uh, you know, I make more bad things happen so that uh, either that player or other players at the table are like, we got to hurry. We got to do something. The longer you take, the worse this is getting. So just do something. And, you know, I think that's, that sounds kind of mean, but I think it really makes things better and more fun um, for people not to be like meticulously looking up and down their character sheet and wondering like, is this really the right thing to do? Uh, Doing anything is better than just like thinking it over. So um, I will often like throw in complications and sometimes it's just like some flavor. Sometimes it's like, you know, the walls are crumbling faster now, or the floor is starting to buckle under you, or the magic tree is growing taller and threatening to c- collapse on the party. Uh, just to let them know the world is acting while you are staring at your character sheet. So <laughs> make a choice. I really love that. Cause I think not only is it going to, you know, pick up the pace a bit but it also adds to the like the drama and the like the memorability of that fight Mm -hmm. that's yeah that's really great yeah and also we have a a grid in front of us we got like a dry erase you know combat grid that we could just draw stuff on and we're using uh lego minifigs as uh they're actually from uh, lego dimensions uh characters so we've got like the players are represented by the Wicked Witch of the West and Wonder Woman and <laughs> Chell from Portal. And so they're all out on the board like that. Uh, and we also have like, you know, we have a bag of plastic bugs. And so often we'll use the plastic bugs as enemies on the grid. Uh, so we've got this ridiculous scenario playing out on the, on the thing in front of us. But it really helps um, people make decisions uh, when we can all see what's in front of us. And we don't have anxiety like, well, I'm picturing this, but I don't know if you're picturing so the the grid like it takes a little bit longer to prep not that much longer and it's really fun to like draw out your field of battle where would you like to see the the podcast and like if you do more shows more live streams like where would you like to see this show going in the future I would love to do more live shows in more cities. So right now we're based in Seattle. Uh, Occasionally we'll do shows in San Francisco. We have a different cast of Queens in San Francisco uh, that we perform with. Um, We're looking at Chicago. We're looking at Los Angeles. Uh, I would really love to expand to some other cities and and have some performances there. Um, It's been great, like trying the show out with um, different combinations of Queens in different cities. Uh, That's really fun. So here in Seattle, we have uh, right now playing Arson Nikki, Freya Love, Butelino Kipple, and... um, uh, no spoilers, but uh, there are some uh, additional drag queen uh, friends who we've been uh, incorporating in various ways. Uh, in San Francisco, we've got uh, Kitty Powers, actually a UK queen who uh, flew in. Uh, she was there for a business meeting uh, and we were like, oh, if you're in town, would you like to be in the show? And she was. So we've got Kitty Powers. We've got Kai Kai B. Michaels, uh, Rockham Sakura, uh, Poya Del Mar and Erica Clash. Uh, and they've been great. And there's some queens in uh, L.A. and some queens in um, uh, Chicago that we've spoken to. 
So it's doing it with different casts has really proven that this is something that works with a lot of like basically what I was saying before D and D is for everyone. Uh, You give Queens like a quick rundown of like, here's your character, here's your deal. uh, Now go have an adventure. Uh, They can pick it up real fast. So uh, that's something I'm really excited for. Uh, And uh, we also, we we have some directions that we want to take with the show. We've been doing bonus episodes for backers. So if you back us on Kickstarter or on Patreon, uh, you get some bonus episodes that involve some little side quests and side adventures. And I really enjoy doing those and uh, having either different queens or uh, taking our cast and, and putting them into a different environment uh, to do a little, you know, incidental quest, sort of like the, um, I forget what they're calling them, but the Star Trek Discovery has those little like mini episodes. Uh, we've been kind of doing sort of a, a version of that with the show. So uh, I'd love to continue doing that kind of stuff. Uh, but, you know, that every every recording session, we always pay our performers and so doing more of that just requires uh supportive listeners uh which they've been really generous with so far so i'm, I'm grateful very grateful for that all righty that's that's really cool because i i the whole concept of the show i would i'm i'm looking forward to seeing you expand i'm gonna listen to some episodes once this is once we're finished recording here because it sounds it sounds like a blast it sounds like something i'd enjoy it's so much fun john uh, I'm really enjoying it. And, you know, I'm learning as I go. So <laughs> uh, I've only been doing uh, playing D&D for uh, a year and a half or so. Uh, so I'm still learning, like, how you make it. First of all, how you play the game. You know, the rules that I'm keeping track of is the rules of D&D uh, to make sure that the experience is balanced and, you know, it, it doesn't break and become, like, boringly easy or frustratingly hard. Then also the rules of storytelling. So how do we raise the tension and like have a narrative arc and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, keeping two different sets of rules in my head at, at once uh, has been um, an interesting skill to hone. Yeah, I guess there's a probably a little bit more pressure on you for the for the narrative side than there is for, you know, the average DM who's just running a game for some friends because, you know, they have a little bit more wiggle room to fix things, mm. get the tension right, or to bring a story to hopefully a satisfactory ending. Whereas because you're recording and putting these episodes out there, there's, I guess it, to me, I like, if I was doing this, it would definitely feel like there's more pressure on me to get the, to get that part of it. Good. Yeah. Well, I, and you know, and don't get me wrong. I love just playing with friends and nobody's listening. We're just having a good time. That is great. Um, I had a regular group that I was playing uh, Tomb of Annihilation with for a while. And now we're doing the live stream with uh, Waterdeep. And I'm loving that. Uh, and we're not doing, you know, the Waterdeep one, even though we're live streaming it, we're not really doing it so much as a show. Uh, you know, we're not editing and it's not meant to be like a dramatic experience. It's just meant to be, here's some friends having a good yeah. time. And yeah, like when you're doing it as a show show, whether it's live or whether it's a podcast. Uh, yeah, there I do feel a lot of pressure to make it dramatically exciting and something that I would enjoy listening to because there's so many actual play podcasts and there's so many good ones. Uh, you know, I, I want to make sure that there's a reason for people to listen to this one. Yeah. Are there, I guess, one of the things that I'm curious about because you're doing all of this stuff, what's the, the, the hardest part of getting all this stuff going and keeping it going? Well, uh, working with drag queen schedules is difficult, it turns out. So that's definitely been a challenge. You know, it's like the thing that every D&D group has is like, when is everyone available? Oh, our next time we're all available is in seven months. Okay, great. Uh, so <laughs> carving out the time has been tough. But I, I would say um, one of the challenges for me has just been being um, knowing when to be hands on and when to be hands off. So uh, it's been really helpful. One of the most useful um, resources I found recently is uh, Sly Flourish has uh, two books. Uh, one is The Lazy Dungeon Master, and the other is, I think, 
Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. Uh, they're great guides for putting together uh, your sessions without doing just a backbreaking amount of prep. And so he's broken it down to this great checklist of, um, I'm going to m- leave things out, but uh, you know, it starts with know what your characters, know what your players like to do. Uh, so you can play to their strengths and their preferences, uh, create fantastic environments, create memorable NPCs, prepare some exciting secrets and clues. And so um, he establishes like how to run a session with just a few note cards. And that's really saved me um, from, you know, our initial sessions, our, our first live shows. I think we had like 70 something pages of notes for a two hour show. And that's unsustainable. So, you know, I had to learn to be a little more hands off and also not to expect like, you know, at first I thought I should write dialogue out like a branching choose your own adventure tree. Like we're just going to choose which path we're going down with the dialogue. Well, you can't do that because they'll, they will never, players will never choose one of those branches. You suddenly find yourself like, uh oh, they, they went off the path. Um, and sure enough, like at our second live show, we had an ending where, um, we had prepared, uh, a good ending. If the players had done everything, uh, virtuously, we prepared a bad ending. If the players had, uh, made a few selfish choices and we played, uh, we prepared, I forget what we called it, like the mega bad ending or the super bad ending. Uh, if the players had been like, really like just played it evil and were very selfish, um, and so I was like, okay, this is great. We've got like all these different endings prepared. So whatever they do, I'll be able to choose one of them. And sure enough, uh, they get to the ending and it's their big final climactic choice. Three of the players wanted to do the good thing. One of the players wanted to do the selfish thing. The rogue wanted to do the selfish thing. Um, and I mean, thank God I was like flexible enough in the moment to be like, okay, the boss who is like delivering either your punishment or your reward uh, is equipped to handle a, a party that is split uh, on what they should do. Uh, Cause there was no way like the choose your own adventure branches, like none of them would have worked for that. And what we wound up doing was a, um, they were all reaching for a prize and each of them had a different idea about what they should do with that prize. Uh, and so I had everyone roll a, um, I think it was sleight of hand check as they all reached for it at the same time uh, to see who actually gets to grab it. And that was so much more exciting than just being like, and now we go through this branch of the, of the twine game that we're playing. Uh, and uh, you have successfully activated choice 37 B. Uh, no, doing that role <laughs> was so much more interesting uh, than that. So uh, yeah, just being flexible about it uh, and learning to be flexible and nimble in the moment. Um, has been tough, but also being, um, I I don't want to say rigid, but, uh, remembering the rules of your world. Uh, so, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to be so nimble that nothing means anything and nothing's permanent. Uh, there are certain things that are, that are set in stone. Um, you, your NPC motivations, for example, you don't want them to be inconsistent or, you know, the lore, you don't want it to be, you know, one minute, uh, you know, the, the trolls ruled this town for a thousand years until we defeated them. And then suddenly it's like, oh, it turns out the trolls are really good and uh, we lived in harmony. Uh, you know, you have to remember certain aspects of the world and not change them. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think just uh, being able to tell the difference between uh, I'm going to go with the flow and be flexible here versus I'm going to be inflexible on this because it's more dramatically meaningful for there to be uh, some some permanence uh, to what's going on. Yeah, and I think just going back to something you said, uh, I think 
GMs having to learn that it doesn't matter how many things you prep, your players will come up with something you haven't thought of. It's probably mm-hmm. one of the toughest things to really wrap your head around. Because I know that I kept doing that where I'd be like, okay, I've got some options for, for A, B, and C. And then the players would come in and say, cool, we're doing Z. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, okay, give me a second. Let me figure this out. <laughs> Yeah, the you know, and uh, people talk about improv being an important skill here, and I think that's absolutely true. And taking the lesson of saying yes and too hard, and always uh, building on each other's choices, super important. Um, the the yes and of it all is, you know, uh, of paramount importance when you're when you're DMing in particular, when you're playing or when you're DMing. Um, but also, there's there's a um, I hesitate to call it saying no because I don't think it is saying no. Um, but there is the importance of putting up obstacles. So if players are like, we came up with a solution and you know, as DM, this doesn't make sense. The solution isn't going to work. You're asking an NPC to do something they wouldn't do, or you're asking them to break their, you know, the rules of their, the way their magic works. Um, I think, or, or they just failed their roles. Like it was a good idea, but they rolled a one. It, sometimes it can feel, and this is something I still struggle with. It can feel like saying no to say, you can't do that or that failed. Um, but it's really not. It's actually saying yes to the larger world of the game uh, and introducing complications and challenges and obstacles and things between them and their goals makes it a better experience. Now, that's very easy to say, but it's very hard to do at the table when you want everyone to be having a good time. And you want them all to be your friends and you want them all to like you and you don't want them to be like, he's so mean as a DM. Uh, it's very tempted to be like, uh, that was a bad idea, but that worked. Or, oh, you rolled a two, but I'm going to let you do it anyway. Um it's it's so like I really want to be their friend and make everything work and be like oh he hit you with the arrow but uh, it didn't do any damage but that's not fun yeah the the fun of the game is how hard it can get so and and overcoming that obstacle uh so yeah you have to be mean quote unquote mean to be nice yeah I think it's especially hard when you've got like this happened to me with the last campaign I ran where there was a player that it seemed like every time I don't. I feel like she never rolled higher than a 15 more than like two or three times in an entire like two year campaign. I just kept feeling so bad because like every time she'd go to attack with her bow and arrow, it'd be like, cool, you get to fire three times. And then she'd roll like a 10 an 11 and a nine. And it's like, well, none of those hit. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think when it comes to the, like that, you made a really good point though about, you know, players coming up with a plan and it, you sitting there being like, this is, not going to work because this NPC is not going to change his mind about this or there's physics that they have to overcome that they haven't thought about or like all these other kind of things. And I think that's, especially in, in D and D where it's, it's so much of it comes down to the role of a dice. It's kind of the DM's job to be ready and prepared for like, what happens if they fail? Like what happens if they put Mm -hmm. together a plan and it all hinges on a single dice roll or a set of skill checks being ready for what happens when they fail. Like if they're trying to sneak into a castle or do something, you know, if they fail, it's not just, okay, you get to try again, but you know, maybe guards burst into the room or something Mm -hmm. else happens or you advance the clock or knowing like, it's kind of comes back to what you're saying about like that whole choosing your own adventure thing of having the idea of what happens when they go wrong, because like, as a DM, you kind of only want to plan for when they succeed and when they're doing awesome. But mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes, yeah, you have to have something ready for when they, you know, assault the main gates of a castle and they completely botch it. 
Yeah, and you know, those moments are when the players really shine, when they figure out something to do. Like when a player's rolling really poorly, uh, or the, you know, opponent has a high AC. This is something that happened at the table, actually, and it was a beautiful moment. Uh, one of our players, Arson, uh, plays a warlock, and she's trying to hit somebody with, I think, Eldritch Blast, and she could tell, like, I rolled a 17, it doesn't hit. And she could tell, like, oh no, this character's armor class is too high. Like, I'm never going to be able to hit them. Um, and that was the moment when she realized, like, wait, I've got spells that don't require an attack roll. I'm going to use, I think it was Poison Spray requires a con save. She's like, I'm going to use Poison Spray this time, and I don't have to roll for that. The target has to roll to resist. And so suddenly, you know, she doesn't have to worry about their their AC anymore. Um and that was a that was a great moment because she it made her understand her it helped her understand her character in a way that she hadn't before, and that was great. The obstacle was frustrating, and then she figured out how to get around it. And that figuring out is such a I mean that that's what puts the game in role playing game. Uh, you know, it's a great moment of like I did it, uh, and you know, it's only by putting obstacles in the way that that you can have those moments. Yeah, those moments when the players feel awesome because they figured out a different solution and it works even better than their original idea. Like those moments of empowerment, I think are what, why everybody wants to play this game. You know, the, mm-hmm. the DM puts these challenges out there to see how the players will react. And then the players, when they get to overcome them and they feel awesome, that's, I think it's kind of the core reason why everybody plays and why people get hooked. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think for, with our players, with the drag Queens, I mean, they have role playing down, like they can, they can do the RP of RPG, because uh, they're professionals um, and figuring out the game. Like I remember when we were doing, um, we, we were doing skill challenges, which is fourth edition, um, but we did sort of a modified version of skill challenges, uh, which is something that Matt Colville uh, recommended in, in a lot of his uh, games and tutorials. Um, and so we brought that in and you could see like the dawning on everyone's faces of like, oh, we want to use the skills that we have the highest numbers and the highest modifiers. Okay. And Oh, oh, I'm really good at religion. Well, it doesn't seem like I ought to be able to use religion here, but I have a plus six. So let's see if I can figure it out. Uh, it's, it's a it's a beautiful moment when you get people like really thinking like this should be impossible, but I'm going to try it anyway. Uh, and, you know, if you can if you can justify it, you can make it work. Let's do it. Uh, so it's really getting the getting drag queens to think about the, the game, the G in RPG uh, instead of just the RP uh, has been a really beautiful thing to watch. Very cool. Like, sorry, uh, one of my favorite moments um, in any RPG I've played is when a player figured out that instead of just trying to hit everything, they could use a utility, like spell. Mm. And like, those moments are so satisfying when you watch a player be like, wait, no, I do have a thing for this. It's just not what I usually do. And it's... Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you've been ha- you've had that experience a lot with uh, the queens as you've been playing. Yeah, well, we definitely want to give them experiences or we want to give them encounters that play to their strength and play to what they like doing. Um, you know, they, we actually ask them between sessions, like we'll have uh, a call. I'll have individual calls with the players to say, how's it been going? How do you feel about the last session? How do you feel about just the vibe at the table? Or how do you feel about, are, do you feel like you're being heard? And so I just want to check in with people and make sure they're having a good time. They feel good as performers. And those sort of like check-ins between sessions have been really helpful because I can also ask them, what do you want to do next? What's interesting or exciting? And, you know, they can say something like, well, one of the, one of the NPCs mentioned something about pirates and I don't know what's going on with the pirates. I just think pirates are neat. So I'm like, Oh, okay. That's good to know. We can definitely put in something about pirates in the next session. Uh, So, you know, talking to them between games and just asking like, 
what are you into uh has has given us a lot of um it's it's given us a lot of inspiration for creating our sessions i really appreciate that you brought that up or said that actually because i think uh more dms could learn like asking your players what they think is interesting or something like that can often bring ideas that aren't or maybe better or different than the dm thinks up on their own and be like oh Hmm. oh yeah yeah i can work with that um and it's, I think it's a useful skill that DMs kind of need to start or need to cultivate and can really improve their games. Especially, I think, with new players, I think it's really urgent to ask somebody if they're feeling shy or, you know, just like, I, I don't really know exactly what I'm doing. Um, you know, important questions like not just what is exciting and, and fun for you, but also do you feel like people are listening to you? Do you feel like you're being talked over? Do you feel like you're being ignored? you know, just a little bit of attention to the the social element of the game is really important. It, you know, not just with new players, but particularly to make sure that they're actually having a good time. Uh, it's, it's, it's so important because often someone won't speak up about that unless you ask. Yeah, I think it's, it's one of the things with D&D that I think other systems do do a little bit better, like Fate and... Uh, even the Powered by the Apocalypse games, because they, they're much more about the storytelling and much more about telling a story with the players. So like in Fate, for example, when you sit down to start, like bef- before you start playing, playing, you set up the world together, you set up the mm-hmm. major antagonist together. Like it's not something the GM does on their own. Whereas in D&D, because there's, I'm not, I don't want to say that the DMs are encouraged to be more secretive, but just the way that DMs, like prepare and put maps and NPCs and all this together. They're kind of encouraged a little bit to do it without the player's knowledge, because, you know, there's all these talks about metagaming and players knowing too much about the monster that they're facing, you know, when it's meant to be a mystery as to what is this troll weak against. And if everybody knows it's fire, then suddenly your encounter is too easy. Mm. And I think though, when it comes to planning out a campaign as to, like what story beats are coming next and where do we want to go? I th- I agree. I think that's definitely a place that DMs need to be more comfortable involving the players because if you sit down and plan out an entire year's worth of story and you get halfway through and everybody's abandoned the campaign because they weren't having fun, then, you know, yeah, you should have sat down with them and figured out what kind of story do we want to tell? And you figure that out together because it's not just at the, to- the table when you're, really playing that you collaborate, you tell this story collaboratively. It's also like when you, when you're wanting to figure out where does this story go? Yeah. I think there is a temptation with D and D to have, you know, your own ideas about what's going on and, and, and impress everybody by surprising them with some like really cool move or really cool idea. And what we found is generally it works better when you are, you know, when you think of it as sort of, at least for the purposes of our show, when you think of it as a writer's room where you can all throw out ideas and, you know, you don't have to feel ashamed of like an idea being kind of half baked. Um, and it works better when you throw out like half of an idea and someone else can build on it. Uh, early on, there was a moment where uh, one of our players, Freya, was like, well, I've got an idea. I think I know what I want to do down the road, but I'm not sure if I should tell you. And as DM, like a little like red flag went off and I was like, no, you should tell me, tell me right now what you want to do. And, you know, sure enough, she had this great idea um, that involved like, no spoilers, but she had a great idea that involved something on the island that she wanted to do. And by saying it out loud, um, as DM, I was able to set up 
a few things that would make it possible for her to do that thing down the road. Uh, and then between sessions was able to write an entire encounters that would uh, prepare her for the thing that she wants to do. Whereas if she just like tried to surprise it with us, surprise us with it, I, I don't think it would have worked because I would have been caught off guard. And I was like, well, I don't even know what you're trying to get at here. So, you know, being open and like, think of, think of the other players as your collaborators. Cause, cause they are, you're all playing a game together and you don't win the game by surprising people. Uh, you win the game by working together. Uh, I, I mean, at least in the context that we do, I'm sure there, there are other ways to play D and D where it's more surprising. And uh, you know, you, you keep your cards close to your chest, but it's not the way that we're doing it. So, uh, Matt, we've got a final question for you. If you had a time machine and could go back to when you were running that that first live show, uh, what's one piece of advice that you would have given yourself? Oh, man, that's a great question. Gosh. Um, I mean, I, let me think about that. I, on one hand, I'd, I wish I was a little bit more uh, fluent in just the rules of the game at that point, because, uh, you know, I just didn't know what certain skills were. And you can definitely tell by, like, listening to me that I'm like, oh, uh, history? I'm not really sure. Um, that I've been said, I think, like, the thing that I would have told myself to be the most cognizant of is uh, thinking about uh, uh, dramatic moments, like, think about story beats. Um, and I, I don't think this is necessarily a lesson that a lot of DMs need to even worry about. Um, but that having been said, you know, it's, you know, whether you're just playing with friends or like for an audience, it's good to tell a story um, to think about, like, what is dramatically interesting in this story? Uh, I, I think that's that's something I would have encouraged myself to uh, be more aware of. Um, yeah, yeah. Just remember, like, think think back to like, what are the what are the movies and the books and the comics and stuff that that you like? And grab grab what's working from those to to build an exciting experience rather than uh just go you know um you know moment to moment like you're when we when i did that first show it was, was very much like in each individual scene and running each individual scene on its own uh, and then once when i was done with one it was like the door closed and we'll never think about it again we're moving on to the next thing um i think thinking more about like dramatic beats uh, would have would have improved things, and, and there's a lot of you know um, good resources for that. Uh, Robert McKee has uh, a whole series of books. Uh, I think his big one is called just Story, uh, but Robert McKee has a whole bunch of books about like telling good stories. Uh, Joseph Campbell has like some interesting books about like the archetype of the hero's journey. Um, those are you know those 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 forms are a little colonial and maybe a little out of date. Um, uh, there's another uh, writer named uh, uh, Lejos Egri who has a grid book called uh, The Art of Dramatic Storytelling. And these are books that by no stretch of the imagination had Dungeons and Dragons in mind. Um, and yet uh, it is, I think, beneficial to be like, okay, what what makes, you know, the, it, I don't know, the, the Ibsen's A Dollhouse, you know, like what makes classic plays work well? Uh and and think about like how you can copy what's working there for for your D and D sessions. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks so much for inviting me. Is there anything you want to plug? Uh, Queens of Adventure, please. <laughs> uh, so check out queensofadventure.com dot com um, to dive on into the the podcast and listen to the queens telling their stories. Uh, you can get even more bonus content if you go to Patreon. Uh, we've got extra episodes there and also some playable content uh, based on some past Ooh. adventures. Um, and then I've got some other shows that I do. I do a podcast called uh, The Sewers of Paris, where I talk to queer folks about entertainment that's changed their lives. That's at sewersofparis.com. 
and I've got a YouTube series called uh, Culture Cruise, where I take an episode of uh, television uh, and uh, that has like, you know, I basically take gay episodes of TV shows and talk about the cultural, political, artistic context of them. So I just did one about um, Married with Children. I did one about Quantum Leap. Uh, I did another about uh, Deep Space Nine. Uh, and had, had a lesbian kiss episode in like 1994 or so. So I take like those gay episodes of TV and talk about like, why did they do this at the time? What could they talk about? What didn't they talk about? And uh, how did this change television that after Deep Space Nine had uh, a, a two women kiss? Uh, so that's called Culture Cruise. Uh, and you can find that on my website at mattbaum.com. And phew, and of course, you can follow Queens of Adventure uh, at Dungeon Drag on Twitter. Uh, and follow me at Matt Baum on Twitter. All right, Matt. Thanks so much for coming on. And uh, maybe we'll have you on again sometime. That sounds great. Thanks so much for inviting me. Bye. 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 Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Moros. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. You can find us on social media at, at DMs of Vancouver and also on Facebook. Uh, you can find this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and tell your friends about the show. Word of mouth really helps shows like ours grow and find an audience. And we're also part of the Cave Goblin Network. You can find our shows and many others at cavegoblins.com. And you can support us and the rest of the network at patreon.com slash cavegoblins. I was told that once, Frost Cricket was a humble prefect of the Celestial City. But when Wanderlust whispered her name, she left to travel the Earth on foot. Her journeys inspired many stories, and those stories inspired other stories. Some idiot wrote them all down, and ever since, fools have been telling and retelling the tales of Frost Cricket. Hear them all on the Cave Goblin Network. I'm Piers Ray. Sitting with me is Eric Ivanovich. My name is Eric Ivanovich. We're the hosts of Podcast vs. Podcast right here on the Cave Goblin Network. This is the only podcast pitching show on the internet. Tune in, find out if we can ever find the perfect podcast, or, more importantly, can we agree on it? This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.